It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabot. And this is the Orange and Brown Talk podcast presented by Sibling Revelry Brewing. And of course, we want to remind everyone that we are having an event at Sibling Revelry Brewing, their tap house in Westlake on December 17th. It is getting close. It's uh, This was our last November game here today in Cincinnati, so we're getting close to that December 17th game. It's a couple days after the Broncos game. I'll use it. I might have some playoff implications in that game. We'll see what happens between now and then. But uh, uh, we want you guys to come out. We'll talk football, uh, mingle a little bit, have a Q&A, uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So make sure you check that out. And there's a link in the post for this podcast and in the uh, the description as well. You can check that out for details and to sign up. All right, let's get to it. We are in Cincinnati. The Browns beat the Bengals today 35-20. to 20. Uh, That final score is a little bit misleading because the Bengals – the Bengals did outplay the Browns in the second half. The Browns got a little conservative offensively, a little soft defensively. But the reality is the Browns had a 28 to nothing lead at one point in this game, Mary Kay, and a 35 to seven lead at mm-hmm. one point in this game. This was, for the most part, complete domination by the Browns. It absolutely was. They scored touchdowns on their first five possessions, not counting three plays at the end of the half. That is absolutely taking it to them, and they just came down here so ready to play this game. Uh, I think there was a big Hugh Jackson factor for them. Uh, We had a number of guys that admitted that after the game. First and foremost, Baker Mayfield admitted it. He basically said, uh, you know, when Hugh Jackson sought him out on the field after the game, that he didn't feel like talking to him. And why? Uh, Because he feels like Hugh Jackson kind of, you know, defected to the Bengals, and he's the enemy now, and he came down here to try to help the Bengals beat the Browns twice, and, you know, that kind of made him mad. So he had no love lost for Hugh Jackson after this football game, and he feels like the rest of the team should feel the same way. Well, I mean, it didn't seem like there was a lot of love lost just watching on the field before the game. Um, you know, we, we kind of tracked Hugh as he was walking around, and, you know, he made his rounds, said hello to people and from the front office, said, you know, quick handshake with Jimmy Haslam. Uh, walked around and talked to some players, uh, you know, Jabril Peppers and him had a nice exchange. Tyrod Taylor and him hugged. Baker was just a quick little handshake. And then, look, Demarius Randall comes up with an interception and steps out of bounds and hands the ball to Hugh Jackson. Some of that is just competitiveness and, and you know, you're playing football and that's what you do. But it did seem like there was a little bit of a chip on the shoulder here from guys about Hugh 
whether it was just because he went to Cincinnati, whether it was stuff before he was fired, whatever it was, there there was some something extra there. There was extra juice there, even if guys told us all week that there wouldn't be. Yeah, there really was. Even Joel Batonio, we talked to him after the game, and he said, yeah, he went over to the enemy. Of course we're going to feel this way. Of course there was something extra. We needed to bring the energy. He came down here uh, to try to make sure, in part, that they beat the Browns twice. They used this as motivation. And whatever they need for motivation these days, that's fine. Now, I will say, uh, in, in Hughes' defense, I mean, he was fired. He didn't actually, he didn't yeah. quit his job and decide to come uh, to the Cincinnati Bengals and try to beat the Browns. He had, He's uh, thinking about his coaching future, had an opportunity to stay here when he took the Browns' job and be the heir apparent to Marvin Lewis. So if he sees an opening for anything like that to happen, or even just to get back in the game as a coordinator, then of course it's smart for him to take this job. Nevertheless, the those guys used it as motivation. I think part of the unfortunate thing when I look at the whole big picture about this for, for him and for the Browns is that uh, these are these are the sorts of things I think he wanted to try to do to, to offensively with this Cleveland Browns football team. And he never got a chance to do that because he turned his offense over to Todd Haley and Todd Haley wasn't doing these kinds of things. And when everybody talks about how things are different and Freddie Kitchen's doing everything different, these are things that you know Ken, Zampini, Ken Zampezi would have had in the playbook, Hugh Jackson would have wanted to do, Freddie Kitchens. They would have all been doing it together had Hugh not turned that offense over to Todd Haley. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of Hugh bashing going on right now. Uh, you know, I think it should be at least remembered that it was Todd Haley's offense before Freddie Kitchens took it over, not Hugh's. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously – because of Hughes' record and all of that, he's going to get bashed. If <laughs> it's won three games here, uh, he, he didn't get the job done. But Todd Haley has skated a little bit, yeah. Um, especially when when it's come to how this offense uh, played early in the year. Uh, let, let's talk about Baker Mayfield on the field for the second straight week. Another really good game. 19 of 26, 258 yards, four touchdowns. A lot of that damage in the first half. Um, I'm looking up to see how many times he threw the ball. Four. Four times in, in the, the second uh, half. in the second half. Yeah. So. Not a lot of opportunities in the second half. That's certainly something worth questioning as we move forward. But uh, for Baker, he was really in command today. And what I loved is his ability to throw on the move. Uh, the, the first drive where he hit Antonio Callaway in the end zone, back-to-back throw. I believe it was back-to-back throws. They were close together on the move yeah. uh, to keep the ball moving and then get it into the end zone to Callaway. And those are the sorts of things that Baker was doing today that, that you just love to see from him. It's We know what he can do in the pocket to right. see him get out on the move, keep his eyes down the field, and deliver the football yeah. that was big. He's so good at that. I mean, he's so good at that. And he's got such a strong arm. And we see it every single day in practice. There are times when we stand right behind the receivers. We have to get out of the way a lot of the times. <laughs> um, but we're standing right in the line of fire there, and we can see how that ball is coming in. And you can see that it's on a rope. He's got an unbelievable arm. He's so accurate. And like you said, he can keep his eyes downfield, roll out, be on the move, and get out there and and nail those throws. And he showed that today. I think it should be remembered. However, I think these are really good, good confidence boosters, and I do think it will carry over even when they play some really good defenses. But they have not played good defenses in the past three games. Yeah. And so what, you know, they are, again, they're doing what they're supposed to do against these poor defenses. They're going out, they're scoring points, they're moving the ball, they're getting in the end zone, and Baker Mayfield is getting the confidence that he needs to have. When they do run up against a good defense, they'll know that, hey, if we can do it against the Bengals, 
We can do it against the Texans or, uh, you know, or some of the better defenses that they are going to face going forward. Yeah, and, you know, it's certainly fair to have that discussion, right? Kansas City's defense is not good. Atlanta and Cincinnati's defense are two of the worst defenses I've seen in a long time. Horrible. Um, And and Cincinnati was just miserable today, Uh, which is part of why I wish they wouldn't have gone so conservative in the second half because they probably could have gotten – 42, 49 points, whatever it is, and really right. just put this football game away. Maybe we would have gotten some Tyrod Taylor time at the end. Um, so, you know, that's why you don't want to go conservative necessarily. It didn't cost them. Uh, but, like you said, confidence this is something this team hasn't always done. When they've played a bad defense, they haven't mm-hmm. always exploited it. They haven't always right. taken advantage of it. I keep pointing back to 74 yards in the first half against Tampa. Uh, they, they weren't able to do anything against them. And now the nice thing about the end of this season is you get to see tests against the Texans next week. Then they play the Panthers. Uh, they've, they've got a game in Denver at night on the road. Uh, they've got another game against Baltimore. I don't know what kind of state they're going to be in by the time they get to Baltimore at the end of the season, but that's going to be a difficult game. So you're going to get an opportunity to really see Baker and, and how he can build going against these bad defenses, now turning that into how he'll look against better teams and better defenses. Yeah, and I think when you look at this season now, I think uh, you know the Browns could and should probably be kicking themselves a little bit. And um, you know, and this, this, I'm sure the fans are feeling this way too. If they would have seen and noticed how good Baker Mayfield was in OTAs and training camp, they should have given him some first-team reps. They should have seen what he was able to do. And just because they had a plan and they were so committed to starting Tyrod Taylor, you know, sometimes you have to tear up the plan. Sometimes you have to look at what's right in front of you and say, you know what, we, we were going to do this, but now we're going to try what makes more sense. And that's what the Philadelphia Eagles did when they realized that Carson Wentz was ready for that when he was a rookie. Baker Mayfield, I mean, if you just look at that, if if Baker Mayfield would have started the season and if somebody other than Todd Haley were running the offense from the beginning of the season, and that was just a struggle from week one. I mean, from week one, Hugh Jackson was arguing with Jimmy Haslam about Todd Haley and what he was doing with that offense. Uh, If if that, that's where the internal discord came from, from the fact that, you know, it was Hugh going in to, to Jimmy all the time and saying, you got to let me take over this offense. This offense, he's not doing what we need to do. Uh, I think they would. I think they would be in playoff contention right now. They would be because all they would need right now to be in playoff contention would be like two more victories, and they would for sure have those. Yeah, and well, and and that's something that I've. You know, look, I go back to just start with the Baker side of things. I go back to OTAs and and mini camp, and um, yeah, I didn't think Baker looked great in the spring. He came back in camp and he lit it up. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I kind of stood behind the plan. I'm like, they're doing the right thing. But you're right. Now that you kind of look back at it, you know, I, I'm starting to wonder. They probably did handle it incorrectly. They probably should have gone to Baker earlier than they did. But then the other part of it, I've kind of been sniffing around it in various interviews and things like that. You know, do guys kind of regret how that early season went and some mm-hmm. of those games? And, and some of the players are starting to open up a little bit more and more and talk about, well, he had that tie against Pittsburgh. And, you know, Jabril Peppers brought up New Orleans today when I talked to him and, and how close that game was. Mm-hmm. And when I asked Chris Smith today, what, you know, do you ever look, do you kind of think about what could have been? And he kind of laughed and said, man, don't remind me, something mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. 
these guys kind of know how close they are right now mm-hmm. and where they could be had they gotten some of those wins early in the year. Yeah, I mean, remember... Two, two wins, and they'd be right... Just two of them. Two and they'd more. be right in the Exactly. Playoffs. Remember, they, they played four overtime games. So even as poorly as things were going offensively, when they were getting all those defensive takeaways and not converting them, they still could have won at least two more of those games. At least two more. So right now, they should be in playoff contention. And when you look at Baker Mayfield over the last three games... He is playing lights out. I haven't done the rating yet, but it's nine touchdowns and one interception over the last three games. That is basically playing at a Pro Bowl clip over the last over the last three games. And that's exactly what you want to see from him. I think the biggest takeaway for Browns fans and for the Browns right now are is that the future is really, really incredibly bright with Baker Mayfield. And, I mean... You look at him, you look at Nick Chubb, it's still a very young team. Yeah. I mean, these guys yeah, are young. He still doesn't even have, uh, you know, the you know the two or three, I think, really, really good other receivers that he needs to have to be as great as I think he can be. Well, and, you know, here's the other scary thing. Wait until Miles Garrett really figures it out. Mm-hmm. He got his 10th sack today. Yeah. And there were some times when he got close to really just ending this football game. Mm-hmm. And, in fact... He kind of did, but then Jannard Avery came in low and, and hit Jeff Driscoll, so they called roughing on Jannard Avery. But he had a hit on Driscoll that led to an interception that essentially would have sealed the game. You know, Miles Garrett is slowly going to start to figure this out and, and possibly become that game-changing defensive end we've seen in flashes, that game-changing edge rusher that we've seen in flashes so far. And, and things like that, the development of some of these guys, it, it's scary to think how good they could be now. They've got to get there, and they've got to get developed, but it, it's scary to think about. Yeah, and, you know, some of their best guys are really, really young. They're in their first years and second years, so that bodes well for the future. As far as Miles Garrett is concerned today, he should have had a more dominant game, and he knows it, because their starting left tackle, Cordy Glenn, was out of the game, and they were down to their backup, Jake Fisher. Then he left the game in the third quarter, so they were down to their third-string left tackle. In a situation like that, you would expect that he would have a couple of sacks and maybe a couple of strips like Aaron Donald did uh, against the Chiefs. This is the kind of game where Baker, where Miles Garrett really needs to show up, jump off the, the screen, jump off that field, and you know that he is there and you're, he's not going to let you forget it. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I mean, I watched him pretty closely at the end of the game. I, I thought just looking at his body language, and, and I wasn't in the scrum with him when he talked today, so I didn't get to ask him about it, but... He looked like he was a little cast out there mm-hmm. towards the end of the game. He's played a lot of snaps this season, and, and it looked like he was trying, but he looked a little gassed. And, and that's going to be on the Browns, too, to make sure that he is in a position where he's fresh and ready to go in these fourth quarters and change games in the fourth quarters, too. Came close, came real close today, and did, did register his 10th sack. Uh, but eventually he's, he's got a chance, as we've seen in flashes, to be special as well. And there's a few guys you can say that about now. Yeah, and there's three guys on this football team right now that are are still in the discussion for Rookie of the Year in Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb and Denzel Ward. So, again, the future looks really bright, and I think you have to give John Dorsey a ton of credit for transforming this team in in one year. I mean, he really did transform this team in one year, and for the most part, it comes down to guys like Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb. But it's also... You know, trading for Demarius Randall. Right. You know, identifying a guy like that and saying that's a free safety, let's bring him in and put him at safety. Mm-hmm. Putting some vet, having a guy like TJ Carey available for mm-hmm. you, right? That you can play in the slot, 
that you can move to the outside when you need him and you're banged up. Um, adding just a layer of veterans. I know everybody talks about Carlos Hyde, and obviously that became a big problem to the point where they had to trade him away. But there was a situation where there wasn't that instant pressure on a guy like Nick Chubb. Mm-hmm. He was able to sort of show what he could do and then finally take over. Um, so, you know, just the whole construction of the roster, I think you're seeing it really play out well. Now young guys are starting to step in and take over, and you've still got some veterans that can contribute. Yeah, and I, I think, again, they're a couple of pieces away, but look what, I mean, they've got a, they've got 11 draft picks coming up. They've got tons of cap space, and, you know, the pieces and the parts that they need, they will get them this year. I think they're going to be a playoff contender for sure next year. They should have been one this year. Uh, but when you add that one or two receivers that they really need, uh, you know, maybe look at some offensive linemen, another fearsome pass rusher. I think they need another pass rusher on this football team. Uh, But when you consider all of that, boy, this would be an incredibly attractive job for some NFL coach. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, On all sides of the ball, Mm -hmm. for coordinators, head coach, anywhere they look, guys are going to want this job because there's a lot of opportunities to get very good very fast. And we saw today a Bengals team kind of going in the other direction, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe on their way to finally making some changes. We'll see. They, They tend to not want to do that here, but... It might be coming to that point, and it just felt like this was two different teams moving in two different directions. That's what I wrote right after the game. Mm-hmm. The Browns are on the way up, and the Bengals appear to be on the way down. Yeah, I mean, there's change going on in the division, and the Browns look like the, the youngest, most solid team, and it's because of things that have gone on uh, this year. And, and, you know, of course, last year when you add guys like Miles Garrett and, uh, you know, and, and Jabril Peppers and David Njoku to the mix – uh, it's, it's a good nucleus of young guys, and they have so many resources. But, again, I think it, it really comes down to, right now, uh, two of the most exciting players on the team in Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb. And you saw that out there today. You saw Nick Chubb make that great catch, plucking it off the defender's back uh, yeah. and falling into the end zone with that. You know, that was great. I think David Njoku is really coming along and becoming a much, much better player. Yeah, we, we, well, we were talking about that before yes. the game. And I said, right. and I basically said to you when you said that same thing to me, well, you know, I still need to see some things. Saw a couple things today. Yeah. You know, the play getting into the end zone where he got a little help from his teammates. Right. Uh, but there were some other catches that he made today where you're starting to see those steps. And yes. you're starting to see some of that progress being made. And a lot of that goes back to the quarterback. Yes, absolutely. Because he can put it right on the money. You've seen that. You're even seeing Antonio Callaway make some catches. Again, it should be remembered that this is the worst defense in the NFL that they play today. You have to temper the enthusiasm just a little bit. But they did what they had to do. I mean, they went out and they took it to the worst defense in the NFL. That's what you need to do. They were aggressive. They're being very aggressive under Freddie Kitchen. They spread them out more today. They tried something different. Uh, you know, they're, they're going for the jugular. They're taking shots. Uh, they're doing whatever makes Baker Mayfield feel comfortable, which is vitally important. If Freddie Kitchens isn't around next year, whoever's the coach of this football team has to be focused on doing whatever it takes to make Baker look good. Yeah, and, and again, look, let's give some credit to Greg Williams. Let's give credit to Freddie Kitchens. They've done a, a good job after this transition of, of making this team competitive and, and helping them stay in games. It should be remembered or noted that they finally snapped the 25-game yes. road losing streak. They hadn't won on the road since 2015. It had been forever. Uh, if they had lost this one, they would have tied the Lions for the longest NFL streak at 26. They did not want to do that. They also won back-to-back games for the first time since 2014, 14 years <laughs> ago. My goodness. And they are now 2-1-1 one, and one in the division. So 
Lots of things are looking up. Unfortunately for the Browns, uh, like Demarius Randall said, their backs are against the wall in terms of uh, trying to make the playoffs. Probably a little bit too late for that right now unless they completely win out, but who knows? You never know. You know what? I, I said during training camp or something that really what I wanted for this team was to be on some of those in-the-hunt graphics in December. They're there. I've seen them on there, yeah. so they've accomplished that, and uh, we're going to find out a lot about this team over the next three weeks because they head to Houston next week, uh, then they've got Carolina at home, mm-hmm. and then they have that Saturday night game in Denver before they play the Cincinnati team again at home. So uh, we're going to find out a lot about this football team over the next three weeks, kind of what they're made of, what to look look at going forward. If somehow they come out of those three games with wins, mm-hmm. we might be talking about something uh, beyond December. But we're not going to go quite that far yet here on this podcast because, uh, I don't know, we haven't had enough sibling revelry uh, <laughs> brews yet. All right, that'll do it for the Orange and Brown Talk podcast brought to you by Sibling Revelry Brewing from Mary Gay Cabot. I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks.